This is episode 546 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. There are two ordinances the church celebrates, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is a -a once-in-a-lifetime event for the believer to publicly display their passage from death to life through the salvation offered by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is literally a picture of being born again. The Lord's Supper is something completely different. It's an event of self-examination and repentance that is celebrated as an ongoing basis as often as the church desires, whether that's weekly, monthly, quarterly, or whatever they choose. The Lord's Supper is a reenactment, in a sense, of the last Passover celebrated by Jesus and his disciples, but with one significant change. During the last Passover, Jesus gave a deeper meaning to the wine and the bread. He said the bread represents his body that was to be broken for them, and the wine now represents a new covenant he has made with us through the shedding of his blood on the cross. Plus, Jesus specifically set aside this time for us to experience an intimate communion with him. So it is much more than a religious sacrament. It is actually a time for us to repent of our sins, cleanse our heart before him, and then partake in the sufferings, his death, and blessings, his resurrection, with him. It is supposed to be a pretty big deal, which leads to a few questions. Like this, what happens at the Lord's Supper? Answer, that really depends on you. And what happens is usually determined by how well you spiritually prepare for it. So how do we spiritually prepare for the Lord's Supper? Let me give you a little guidance. In 1887, Andrew Murray wrote a small book entitled The Lord's Table, A Help to the Right Observance of the Holy Supper. And in this book, Andrew Murray gives clear instructions and, most importantly, heartfelt prayers that help those who were experiencing revival in his time in South Africa to spiritually prepare for the Lord's Supper. And by following the instructions of those people who are experiencing God like we want to in their preparation of the Lord's Supper, maybe we can learn from them and experience the power behind it today and hope for the same results. So I would encourage you to listen to this message as we move forward in a likeness to Him as we at the same time learn how to leave Laodicea behind. I'm going to pray in just a minute, and then I'm going to share some passages with you, some prayers, actually, and then we're going to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. But I want to preface that, if I can, by kind of giving a warning to really all of us who live in a time in which we live. As I have been preaching over the years about the um, seven letters to the seven churches, how it lays out for us not only what those churches were going like at that time, but it also lays out for us church history in advance in the exact order in which they were. There's various church ages in which we live, and in those church ages, the predominant attitude or characteristic of that church age really is the predominant attitude of the church during that time. We happen to be living in the Laodicean church age. Laodicean church age, the word Laodicea means the rule of the people, or the people rule, and it's it's characterized by apathy. Worst part about it is, if you remember from Revelation chapter 3, not only is the apathy, the not being hot, not being cold, but being lukewarm, was so offensive to Christ 
that he wanted to vomit them out of his mouth, which is pretty sobering for us living in this age. But if you remember, in the latter part of that letter, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We try to make that the door of your heart, try to make an evangelistic thing where you know, Jesus is outside the door of your heart and he's knocking. If you will open up the door, he will come in and have fellowship with you and kind of use it as part of a, a salvation schemata. But the context in that letter is Jesus is standing outside of the church. He's standing outside of the church wanting to have entrance. And um, if you've seen pictures of that, there's one handle on the door, it's on the inside. And all the church has to do is open up the door and allow him to come in. And it doesn't say he brings salvation. He says that he will dine with us, sup with us, fellowship with us, have communion with us. So being part of the Laodicean church age, there is a natural bent, a natural tendency to not take the things of God seriously. I mean, it's in our DNA. We come to church. I've been to church really all my life, and there was never this real push for a deep commitment to Christ, for a total surrender to Christ, for giving things up for Christ. It was always Christ will season my life. Christ will make my life better. Christ will, um, you know, fulfill all my dreams and wonders and be, I'll have my best life now and such of that nature. And, and that's, that's kind of the prevailing attitude that we have today. 150 years ago, the songs that they sang in church were these anthems, these songs. Many times they just sang the psalms. They were these anthems about the attributes of God. A mighty fortress is our God. The songs we sing today are about us. They're about how God has done this for us and how troubled I was. And it was like, they're like testimony songs, but the focus is not on him. The focus is on what he has done for us. And it's subtle. It just kind of creeps in everywhere, and, and that's the way it is. When it comes to really expecting to experience God when we come together, most Christians today do not have an expectation of that. We don't. We, we plan on coming to church and going through a service, a certain amount of time that we have allotted, and we want it kind of the same as it was last week, and then we're going to you know, do our thing and then go on home and forget about it for the rest of the week. That's church. That's spiritual. Monday's work. You know, Tuesday is clubs that I go to and ball games for the kids and everything that I want to do. And, and then, oh, it's Sunday again. I guess I need to prepare myself to come back to church. It's, it's just the times in which we live. And it takes a concerted effort, a difficult Herculean effort to break out of that, to try to strive for what Watchman Nee called the normal Christian life, what the Keswick movement called the higher Christian life, the, what Jesus called the abundant life that is in him. We've been sharing about this for a long time, that in order for that to happen, the first thing we must have is a hunger for more of him, a hunger. The best way to determine where you are in your hunger is to try to determine how long you've been plateaued where you are spiritually. And if you've been plateaued for a season spiritually where you are right now, then there's no hunger. It's where I'm okay. Not as bad as I used to be. Not as good as I want to be. I'm okay. I used to be cold. 
I'm really not hot, I'm okay. And we know how that ends up. We're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. Oh, great, the Lord's Supper. It's one of those awkward times when we come together and we drink the grape juice and we take the piece of bread and we act solemn and maybe we pray and supposedly it's supposed to be a big deal, but it never seems like it's a big deal. It's just something that we go through and some churches take it weekly, some churches take it annually, some monthly or quarterly. You know, as I've shared with you before, we participate in this far less than we should. But what I don't want to have happen today is this be like it always is. Just always is. Well, we'll get out of here kind of early. Actually, you're not, just letting you know. Um, get out of here kind of early because we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And, you know, it's, it's a time of communion. It's a time of fellowship. It's a, it's a time of oneness that our Lord has set aside for a reason. And I'm asking you today, especially as I share what I'm going to share with you, to make that Herculean effort to be different to set aside the world and embrace the reality that lasts forever, our relationship with Christ, rather than the stuff that just passes away. So let me pray, and then I want to share some passages with you. Father, you've placed us in this time for a reason. Lord, we, we didn't live in the 1800s. We didn't live in a foreign country. You've placed us right here in this state, in this city, at this time, for a reason. And Lord, the prevailing attitude, spiritual attitude of the church today shouldn't matter to us at all because you live in us. You want to make us better and whole and complete and perfect if we simply learn how to trust you at your word to take serious the claims that you've made. Father, we need you more than anything, especially at the time in which we live. Like the song we sang, just take this world, Lord, and just give us Jesus. Let us experience Jesus and not let us be so enamored by the world we don't have time for him. Father, in Jesus' name, would you bind and rebuke Satan? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you speak to us? Would you let us experience you? Would you let us commune with you? Or at least would you give us a hunger and a hope that things can be better? And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's the Lord's Supper. Depending on your religious upbringing or the denomination that you go through or how you've kind of viewed what we're about to do today, it comes with many different words. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the last Passover, which is what Christ had with his disciples. In our Baptist setting, we always called it communion. And I remember we would call it communion and we would say and we would call the table where it says, in remembrance of me on the front. You remember that? Big, thick, dark table, white legs. And we would call it the remembrance table. I have no idea why. And the procession was like, you know, solemn. Nobody talked. And the, it was all up there. And the chairman of the deacons would take the, blank, uh, the sheet and fold it up and sit down. And then he'd pass it out to the people and give that little spiritual nod, I guess, that you would do. And we would all eat it and drink it and then go home sing a hymn and go home, and I had no idea what it was about. It's supposed to be something where I commune with Christ. Jesus set it apart like baptism to be one of the sacraments of the church, but I have no idea why. I mean, it's just something we do. Couldn't we do something else, like have a fellowship meal or something we enjoy doing? And 
Some uh, religious persuasions call it the Eucharist or the Lord's table or the breaking of bread. In the New Testament, they had something, the early church had something called the love feast. And they would come together for a communal meal and they would have a time where somebody would give a song and a hymn and a prophecy and a word. It'd be a time of spiritual edification. Then they would have a communal meal together. They would celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it got so factionalized and it got so messed up that the early church discontinued the love feast. And the passage that we look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, giving us instructions about the Lord's Supper. If you'll read the passage prior to that, Paul is chastising the church in Corinth because of the way they're doing that. Everybody's bringing their potluck, but then these poor people over here can't afford to bring anything, but all the rich people had all the food. You guys get out of here. We're eating our own food. You're dirty anyway. And it's just not at all the way it was supposed to be. So what does it mean? What does it mean to have the Lord's Supper? I mean, I, I'm preparing for this, and I've been preparing this for this for a while, and so I'm asking some questions, as I always do, like, uh, Lord, what, what happens at the Lord's Supper? I mean, what's going to happen today at the Lord's Supper? And the answer is simply this, depends on you. Depends on you. Uh, if your heart is in tune to commune with the Lord, you will. If it's not, you won't. It'll just be a wasted time, and then we'll get together with the fun stuff. We you know, eat fried chicken and, and just talk about things. But the Lord's Supper has a purpose. And if you think about it, there's a preparation that should be involved in each of us spiritually before we come to the su supper. If I invited you to come to my house for a meal, you guys would probably, if you were mowing the lawn, you guys would probably take a shower, clean up a little bit before you came over. There would be some sort of preparation that was done. Uh, we would be preparing the meal to welcome you into our home. And, and there's kind of a, a mutual respect that goes both ways, it seems, except when we do the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we're just as chaotic and just as busy and maybe just as apathetic or non-committed on this Sunday as we are any other Sunday. But if you think about it, you know, the question the Lord wants to ask us is, how much did you prepare to commune with him today? Oh, well, is, is it commune, commune with him? Yeah, that's why it's called communion. It's not us communing with each other. It's communing with him. Do you expect to commune with him? Do you think that you'll meet with him? Do you realize that the God of the universe has invited you to dine with him at his table? No, it's actually just a bunch of little plastic cups with like, you know, an ounce of grape juice and some bread and, and we kind of do it whenever the pastor tells us to and that's pretty much it. Then you miss the whole point of the Lord's Supper. Then actually you'll get nothing out of it. All right, Lord, I have another question. I, another question, you know, and of course the, we must make sure that we come to him in a worthy manner. It talks about that in 1 Corinthians 11. So here's my other question. If this is what's happening at the Lord's Supper, tell me what should happen. I mean, what should I expect when I partake of the Lord's Supper? And the answer is the same. Depends on you. Depends on you. What are you looking for? What do you expect to happen? How committed are you? How much preparation have you taken? I mean, is it serious? Do you realize that you're actually performing something that Jesus said, I earnestly desire to celebrate this last Passover with you, what we call the Last Supper, before I suffer. I mean, what happens? Well, 
what Jesus has done, he set apart a separate time for us to experience intimate communion with him. If you don't experience intimate communion with him during your prayer time or your Bible study or your quiet time, probably not going to happen today. But he set this up for a reason. It's not a religious sacrament. It's much bigger than that. It's a time for us to repent of our sins, to commit our lives to him, to clear the slate, to put everything behind us. And as I'm getting ready to partake of this, to make a recommitment to Christ. Yes, Jesus, I haven't prayed to you in a month. I haven't read my Bible since February. But Lord, I want to change. I want that to be different. I want you to inhabit me. And I'm consummating that commitment with you by celebrating this last Passover, this last supper. I want to partake of the pain of that, the death, because I want to experience the joy of the resurrection, the joy of a new commitment. Oh gosh, Steve's getting off on this crazy stuff again because, man, I've been taking the Lord's Supper ever since I was a kid and nothing like this happens. It's not that big a deal. Can't we just hurry up and get it over with? And then we miss the point of it. What he has in mind is for us to experience a union with him, experience a union with him in in our soul, in everything of who we are, and not just our mind. It's not just some religious ritual. And again, the how questions we've been looking at, how do we do that? Well, it begins by prayer and preparation. It begins by uh, spiritual commitment. It, it, It begins by realizing he's inviting us to his table to dine with him. So um, how do we do that? How do we learn? I mean, what's the right way? Uh, If we went to First Baptist Church or uh, some other church when they're having the Lord's Supper, it's pretty much done the way it's always done. It's pretty much done, you know, the way most churches are done. The pastor preaches a message on the Lord's Supper, warns people not to take it in an unworthy manner. The deacons come up and they take the elements, as it's called, and they pass it out to the people. And the pastor will, you know, quote these verses and drink ye all of it. And everybody drinks together and they eat the little uh, bread. And then they maybe sing a hymn and pray and everybody leaves. And we'd like, check it off our to-do list. All right, Lord's Supper done this quarter or this month or this week until we try to do something else. I mean, is that it? Is that all? And if it's all, if that's all there is to it, why did the Lord make such a big deal about it? Because it's, it's more than that. So I am um, looking at these seven letters to seven churches. The, um, the only two churches that the Lord had nothing bad to say, uh, of course, was the church that suffered great persecution, the second church letter, and the church of Philadelphia, the church of the great missionary movements, the church of the last... 200 years. Uh, That church age ended around the turn of the century, um, but it's back during the preaching of Spurgeon and Finney, the first and second great awakenings, the the Keswick movement, the great missionary movements. It's when people actually took the word of God to mean what it says and and actually lined their life up with the word of God. School, kids were taught to read through the Bible. It was an integral part of their education at that time, and it just bled over to the fact that if you have you know, if you homeschool your kids or spend any time teaching your kids about great Christian heroes and you have all those biography books, almost every one of those biographies are from people who lived in that age. We had people like Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, or people like um, Andrew Murray, 
had uh, a lot of people during the time that we read and admire today. I wonder, I wonder if they did the Lord's Supper like we do. I wonder if they did church like we do, because they seem to have an experience with God, an intimacy with God that we long for. I wonder, I just wonder how it was with them. So I've chosen one man, Andrew Murray. Uh, Andrew Murray wrote this book uh, that I'm going to share. Here's the book here about the Lord's Supper. Wrote what I'm going to be sharing with you uh, in 1887. Andrew Murray was a a pastor, a Dutch Reformed pastor in South Africa. His father, for 38 years, was a uh, Dutch Reformed pastor in South Africa. Paid for, prayed for 38 years that revival would break out. 38 years. In South Africa, they had a lot of prejudice between English-speaking or the language that they spoke and between the races during that time. And so there was a, it, was a, it wasn't a real um, keen area for evangelism, his father prayed for 38 years as a young man. He was 22 years old. He's pastor in his first church, Andrew Murray, in South Africa. And all of a sudden, in some sort of prayer meeting, not even led by him, led by one of his deacons, a African lady stood up and said, do you mind if I pray? Well, that's unheard of for an African lady to pray in a Dutch Reformed church because she didn't speak the right language and it was a bad dialect and, you know, it was just... Um, a lot of prejudice at that time. And so the deacon said, please do. And she got up and started praying. And when she did, the testimonies say that it sounded like a mighty rushing wind entered the room. And everybody in that meeting found themselves on the floor, repenting of their sins, confessing their sins, experiencing the power of God like they never had in their life. And after 38 years of praying, Andrew Murray's father's prayer was answered and revival began in South Africa. Andrew Murray heard about the commotion in his office, came into the meeting and tried to stifle it. This is wrong. Everybody needs to stand up. We can't be doing this. And the only person that listened to him was the deacon. And so the deacon stood up by end. We have to stop this. This, this is not right. What are you talking about? Let, let's sing a hymn. Maybe if we sing a hymn, they'll quit doing all this strange stuff that's going on. So they sang a hymn, and the only person singing the hymn was Andrew Murray and uh, this deacon. And pretty soon what happened was Andrew Murray became overwhelmed and realized that revival had taken place. Changed his life, went from one church to another church to another church and to another church. And what Andrew Murray did, who's written like 120 books, what Andrew Murray did is realize that in these outlying areas, there was no pastor, there was no internet, there was no television, there was no way to get the devotional higher life message to them. So he began writing his devotionals. Some of them are classics, um, with Christ in the school of prayer, others like that. Uh, abide in him. And that's where his writing ministry began. Towards the end of his life, he realized that when it came to taking the Lord's Supper, that what we need to do is treat it for what it is. It is a time to actually commune with the Lord. So in this book that he wrote, what he did is he divided it up between the, how you prepare for the Lord's Supper the week before the Lord's Supper what happens on that communion Sunday, and then how that should affect you in the following weeks. And he would give a devotional and a prayer. A devotional and a prayer. For example, the week before, it looked like this. 
talked about on Sunday is the divine invitation, and he would talk about recognizing what's happening here. We've actually been invited to the Lord's table, then about the preparation, and then about the host focusing on who Jesus was. Then Wednesday would be a time of self-examination in our life. Once we've seen things that, that are offensive to the Lord, we'd spend a time of confession on Thursday, then have the faith to realize that God has redeemed us and forgiven us, and then in all of the writings and teachings of the Keswick movement and the uh, Philadelphia church, her, church age, there'll be a time of surrender. And then finally, in that evening before they met together, a prayer to the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to share with you uh, what he said. I suggest you read it on your own. But I am going to share just a few prayers. This is the kind of prayers that people who have experienced revival people who are having intimate fellowship with the Lord, people who are having their so much spiritual fruit in their life that their branches are bowed down, people who are not friends of this world but are just committed to Christ, it's the kind of prayers they prayed as they went through a process of preparing for what we're going to do today. I'm just going to read a couple of these. First one is the prayer that he prayed under the divine invitation recognizing exactly what the Lord's Supper is. And here's what he says. Eternal God, I have received the good tidings that there is room also for me at the table of your son. Oh, no, no. This is just a ritual at church. For the carnal, yes. For the spiritual, no. With grateful thanks, I receive your invitation, God of grace. I hunger for your bread, O Lord, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. My flesh and my heart cry out, when shall I enter and appear before the face of my God? Lord, graciously bestow upon me this week a real blessing in the way of preparation. Let the sight of my sinfulness humble me deeply and take away from me all hope in myself. Let the sight of your grace again encourage me and fill me with confidence and gladness. You yourself Stir up within me a mighty desire for the bridegroom, for the precious Jesus, without whom there could be no feast. And may it be manifest in me this week that I am full of the thought that I have an invitation to eat bread in the house of my God with his only begotten and well-beloved Son. Lord, grant this for Jesus' sake. Then he prays to Jesus. Lord Jesus, you have taught me God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Lord, spiritual worship we cannot bring, but you will bestow upon to your spirit. I entreat you, Lord, to grant the working of, this, the, working of the spirit. The blessing of the supper is a high spiritual blessing. The invisible God will there come very near to us and will very mightily impart the gift of eternal life to those who have the spiritual capacity for it. He's talking about making sure your salvation first. Only the spiritual mind can enjoy the spiritual blessing. You know how deeply I fail in the receptiveness of this full blessing. But grant, I pray thee, that the Holy Spirit may this week dwell and work in me with special power. I will surrender myself for this end to him and to his guidance in order that he may overcome in me the spirit of the world and renew my inner life to inherit from my God a new blessing. Lord, let your spirit work mightily within me. 
And as I thus pray for myself, I also pray for the whole congregation. Lord, grant in behalf of all your children an overflowing outpouring of your spirit in order that this supper may really be for all of us a time of quickening and renewal of our energies. Amen. That is day one, when he's beginning to prepare for the Lord's Supper. When is the last time you ever began a preparation spiritually for anything like that? I mean, it's, it's, it's foreign to us because, no, we, everybody else is supposed to do the work. We're just supposed to sit and listen and go home, and, and it's supposed to be really easy for us. And, and then we wonder why, especially with the Lord's Supper, we miss everything God has planned for us. That was Monday. Or that was Sunday. Monday, of course, is the time of preparation. Then it comes to Tuesday. Tuesday, he talks about focusing on Jesus, focusing on the host, the one who has actually invited us to this meal. Here is his prayer. Listen to his devotion to Christ. Eternal love, what am I that you should desire to eat with me? Lord, it is too great a thought that you should earnestly desire to eat with me, with me, who have desired so little to eat with you, who have longed so much for more food that perishes and for the fellowship of the world than for you and your heavenly bread. My Lord, give me so to feel the desire of your soul to eat with me, that my sluggishness and my unbelief shall be ashamed, and that all that is within me may prepare to set my heart open with joy before you. Yes, Lord, too long I have suffered you to stand at the door and knock. Now I will open it to you. Make even my heart a banquet hall furnished and prepared where you may make ready the Passover. Let the sight of your blood poured out for me be to me the full assurance of redemption. Let the eating of the lamb fill me with the power of a heavenly life. Let the eating with you be fellowship with yourself and your love be the joy of my soul. Blessed Jesus, let the love of your heart which draws you to me also draw me to you. My Savior, it is this especially that I crave at your hand. Unveil to me the love of your heart that makes you long so much after me. I know that this one, I know that this is one of the secret things that remain for your dearest friends, and I hardly dare reckon myself among them. And yet, Lord, may I venture to do so? Grant me, I pray, one more glance into your heart that I may know how earnestly you desire to eat with me. Let my soul conceive what it is to have me at your table with this great desire. Lord, would you have me as your own possession? Would you enter into the deepest communion with me? Would you communicate yourself to me? Would you become one with me? Would you have me for yourself? My Jesus, if this really be so, cause me to feel it, to experience it, not mental. Let not my heart remain in darkness. Then I shall turn away from all else, and my life shall be filled with one supreme desire, to eat with Jesus, my King and my friend. Precious Jesus, grant that it may indeed be so. Wednesday it is a time of self-examination. I have that prayer here. I'll, I'll not read that to you. But it talks about how if God is powerful enough to detect the sin of Ananias, and he had so much to say about hypocrites, 
Please don't let me be one of those before I come to your table to prepare myself spiritually for what I'm about to partake. Talks about then the confession of sins. Talks about faith. And then he moves into the area of self-surrender. The entire life with Christ is built on self-surrender. I must die. He must be raised. I must die and be born again. And once I am born again, I must yield to him for him to lead his, live his life through me. I will read to you his prayer for self-surrender because it flows perfectly in what we've been trying to do as a congregation or what I've been imploring you to do as an individual, to surrender everything to him. Here's what he says. My father, you call me to your table to participate by faith anew in the sacrifice of your son. Think about that. He's called us to his table to participate once again in the death of Jesus Christ. I cry to you in turn to make me partaker of the power, the inclination, and the spirit of his self-sacrifice, that I, in fellowship with him, may in like manner offer myself up to you. As your word says, through the eternal spirit, he offered himself up to God. My God, let the same spirit make me also, on my part, a complete offering to you. Do you remember Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we looked at the last couple of weeks? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is our spiritual service. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, so that we'll be able to prove what is the good and perfect will of God. My Father, grant unto me to see that self-offering constitute the essence and the worth of his sacrifice. Let the surrender of my feelings and will to the will of God be the mark of my piety. Yes, Lord, let me live as one who offers himself wholly to the desires of God and man to further your honor and their salvation. My Father, at the supper I desire truly to present myself a living, holy sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, an offering that shall be wholly consumed. For this end I entreat you to for grace to prepare myself for this sacrifice. As your son prepared himself for the sacrifice on Golgotha by saying, not my will, but your will be done, so I would offer myself as a sacrifice with you with complete surrender of my will. May your will be all in all in me, O my God. Lord, enable me to say in truth, I live only to do the will of God. In the strength of Jesus Christ who lives in me and in whom I offer myself to, I venture to make his language my own, quote, I come to do your will, O God. Lord, prepare me to say also, I desire here before you to renounce every known and unknown sin. All self-seeking and self-will I desire to abandon before you. I take Jesus Christ as my holiness, my strength, my victory, and in virtue of the new nature which he has prepared for me, I say, Father, no more sin, but your will only, your will holy, your will always, all in all. Lord Jesus, who gave himself to me, I give myself to you. Yes, Lord, in this very moment where I, in solitude and preparing myself for the supper, I say before heaven and earth, Jesus, Son of God, I will give myself wholly to you to live now and henceforth only for you. 
Lord Jesus, I do this now. And as one who is offered to God and to you, I go to the supper table, there to be confirmed in the faith and confession. I am no longer my own. I have been bought with a high price. I will glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are God's. Feel the intensity and the spirituality of how they back then who experienced what we claim we want to experience now felt about the Lord's Supper. When it became time for that communion Sunday, what they would do is they would go through various passages and they would do what we do. They would take a passage, they would take a truth, they would focus on just one segment of that truth to try to get a whole picture of what this communion should be about. First, the invitation. Take, eat, for this is my body which is given for you. Then they would talk about why we take the Lord's Supper. They would say that we're to do this in remembrance of him. It's not about us, it's about him. Then they would talk about what we're remembering, about the blood and the bread and the flesh. They would look at the blood and look at the various passages. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood. This is what I am shedding for you. Paul reiterated that truth in 1 Corinthians. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not communion of the blood of Christ? Then we talk about the fact that he did this to enter into a new covenant. A new covenant not based on our works, but a new covenant based on his sacrifice, the covenant of his blood. Likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant that I'm establishing with you in my blood. And the reason is for the remission of sins, that you may have your sins forgiven by the sacrifice of Christ. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then they would deal with our own pride. You know, uh, it's not just for you if you're haughty, but this is for many. It is for all who partake. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then those of us who have a tendency of thanking God is gracious to everybody else, but not to us, you know, God will do that for them, but you don't know the depth of my sin. They focus on it's also for us, for the many and for the singular. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. It's personal for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed not for them, but for you. Personally appropriate his gift in your life and celebrate it. And when we do, we become one body. Male, female, rich, poor, various races and nationalities, all different dialects, one body in Christ because of his sacrifice. For we, 1 Corinthians 10, though many are one bread and one body. Why? For we all partake of the one bread. And the bread, of course, is the body of Christ. And then they finish up by talking about the cup of blessing. So that's exactly what it is. 
we're having an opportunity to enter into the blessing of our Lord, to participate in something that he's invited us to come, to share a meal, commemorating and remembering his divine sacrifice for us. To be able to do what he did, to drink and to eat, to break the bread and proclaim his death until he returns. The cup of blessing, 1 Corinthians 10 again. The cup of blessing which we bless, what is it? Is it not communion with the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not communion with the body of Christ? Are we not fellowshipping with his sacrifice, fellowshipping with him? And if so, what are we waiting on? How long are we going to do this until we see him face to face, until he returns? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, as Paul says, till he comes. Because Jesus promises never to eat this again until he does it with us in his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't say he can't wait to give us a mansion, can't wait to give us wings we can fly around or whatever it is, can't wait to show us all the streets of gold. No, he can't wait to fellowship with us at his table celebrating this and he'll not do it again until we're with him in his kingdom. But I say to you, I'll not drink of the fruit of this wine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. My Father's kingdom. Then they would have a prayer of thanksgiving, and they would pray to the entire Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I will end our time together by reading that prayer with you. But I want you to realize that when the Lord's Supper takes place, there's an idea that your life has changed. And if it's changed, that you should go out into the, the week and live according to the change that took place in you. I mean, you've confessed your sins. You've reconnected in your communion with him. You've consummated that relationship by coming up and drinking um, a symbol of the covenant of his blood and eating of the breaking of his body of the bread. You've You've cleaned the slate with him. You've said, I'm sorry for what I've done in the past. You've recommitted your life to him. And when we walk outside, it should be different. And to make sure it's different, what they did is they went through this great exercise of trying to grow closer to him. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. And when it's done, it's done. On Monday, they would talk about the power of what just happened. The power of participating in this, representing the blood and the body of Christ. Tuesday, they would look at their life of sanctification. Amazing prayer he had for sanctification. Sanctification leads to obedience. Obedience leads to evangelism and to work. And work leads to a deeper fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then on Saturday, they would close that out before they met again the, the next Sunday morning. And they would they would. Focus on the fact that whatever work God has begun in me, he promises it to see it to completion. And they would recommit themselves to that as they moved on into the next week. This is the Lord's Supper, according to those people who had experienced revival. You ever been to a Lord's Supper like that? Never, never. Never. We don't have time for that. I ain't got no time for that. I mean, I'm too busy doing stuff I got. I'm supposed to spend like an hour a day doing it. Who has time for prayers? I mean, I got stuff to do that all will pass away. And this lasts forever. 
So we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And what I'm going to do is I'm simply going to ask you, we're not going to do this together. Um, there's not a table that we can, we're all seated, seated at. So uh, as if you're wondering why we do it this way, it's the best way I know to take the peer pressure off of you who may be foolish enough to participate in this in an unworthy manner by the plate coming by, and I don't want people to notice me not getting it. So we place it up here. Gives you an opportunity to come to the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper is not something we do together. The Lord's Supper is something we do individually, but in the same room. In other words, what happens in my life in the Lord's Supper is not the same thing that will happen in Karen's life. And so that's why when we pray and we read the passages here, then after you have prayed, you come up on your own or as a family or however you want to when you're ready and you come to the Lord's table and you simply take the bread and you take the juice and you go back and when you're ready, you commune with God. You consummate that relationship with him alone. It's not that Timmy and Debbie have to do it at the same time. Timmy does it his time or Tim does it his time. Debbie does her time. It's not... It's not all us doing like when I grew up together, drinky all of it, and we all have to do it no matter what condition your heart is. We'll wait as long as you need to. And everybody, after everybody's had an opportunity to commune with the Lord privately, I will close by reading this last prayer of thanksgiving that uh, uh, Andrew Murray wrote about um, as how they did church back then. And then I'm going to ask if anyone would like to share anything. Anything maybe God has shown you or any commitments you've made to him, anything you would like to make public, we will then pray and then we'll have a fellowship meal together. Sound good? And all we can, this is all we can do. All we can do is tell you the spiritual side of this. We can share the passages with you. We can prepare it here for you. But what happens in you is on you, is based on your condition of your heart. And I'm truly praying that you will experience him today in a profound way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lays out for us the, I won't say rules, but the format of the Lord's Supper and the reason behind it. And again, the context here is he's basically saying the way you have been doing it is very carnally. You're not interested in communing with the Lord. You're only interested in coming together and there's divisions and anger and this and I'm going to eat first and you can't eat it all. And so he's basically saying that's not how it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be done. And it begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It's the passages we read all the time when we do this. It says, For what I received from the Lord that day I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. That's the cup of redemption. Saying, This cup is of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why? Why is this such a big deal, Lord? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You are heralding what Christ has done for you until he comes. In a way that only Christ understands, you will 
experience and participate a communion with him of what it means to die to yourself, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, and be raised to a newness of intimacy with him till he comes. And then there's the warning. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. We've talked at great detail about what that means. But the encouragement for us is simply this. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And it is foolish in a world that judges you anyway to invite judgment from the Lord in your life. So confess your sins, get at short accounts with the Lord, do what is necessary, commit to him what you've been holding back from him, whatever it is. And then after you've gone through that process, come and partake of the Lord's Supper. And then we will, um, we will close our time together. Amen? Let me pray. And after I pray, the table is open for you. Father, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, you give us examples like Andrew Murray who pray things we can't even conceive in our mind and we're too ashamed to even pray out loud. Lord, what happened to us? How do we let the world just drown out your still, small voice inside of us? We are light of the world. You live inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. You have promised us that no weapon formed against us will prevail, that we're commanded to yield ourselves to you, that you will let us know what your will is for our life, that, Lord, that there's, we're complete in you, as it says in Colossians. And yet, Lord, many times we live as paupers because we're afraid, we're slaves to fear as we sang about today, or maybe we're just too enamored with the world. But Lord, would you let us just get a glimpse of what this is all about and what you want to do to those people who actually commune with you using the elements that you've laid out. Nothing magical about the juice or the bread, but Lord, it's the condition of our hearts that draws close to you. Would you speak to us? Would you let this be a new beginning for each of us that will wipe the slate clean that we'll commit our lives to you no matter what, that we'll self-surrender everything to the one who gives us life. And Lord, that we will honor you and consummate that by partaking of this Lord's Supper. Lord, would you let your Holy Spirit just be unleashed in the hearts of those people here. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. So if you would pray, and then when you're ready, come up and partake.